Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. With me, Kevin, 38 points is enough, surely, day. And Liverpool University's Kieran, still looking a bit nervous, Maguire. You'll you'll be fine, Kieran, will you? Uh, not necessarily. If you, if you take a look at our running, it's uh, we, we've got Chelsea, West Ham... Uh, Manchester City, Arsenal. Ooh, so cool, it's it's uh, it's, uh, it's going to be tricky. Oh, that's cheered me up. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, did you have a nice Easter, Kieran? I did. An absolutely wonderful Easter. Managed to see my granddaughter, which was uh, oh, how which lovely. Was part, part of the reason why we why we moved down here, um, and then COVID, of course, changed everything. Yeah, cool. Because how old is she now? She is. Uh, she'll be twenty one months. Oh, I love that picture on your your Twitter page with you and your little baby. Hark at us, hark at two middle-aged, sentimental South London men chatting away about their princesses. Uh, now, shortly we'll be hearing exclusively and extensively uh, from Neil Doncaster, Chief Executive of the Scottish Professional Football League, a, a guest, Kieran, a guy considered so important, he, he actually sat in on the interview and pressed all the buttons to record stuff, which... <laughs> It's a bit of a first, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, you could almost hear him tugging his forelock in the background. Which is, um, but we do have. We, we, <laughs> we do have. Um, I noticed Manscaped have got a lot of uh, advertising around professional football grounds, and I felt I felt quite proud. Yes. I felt quite proud that we were in at the start of that phenomenon. Do 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 do. Um, we do have a couple of uh, news stories before we get to that interview with Neil. Um, and first of all, ten. Ten, Kieran. Ten championship clubs have been placed under a transfer embargo. Is that is that unexpected or or, or sudden? Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's very weird. Um, the, the, the likes of Luton, Coventry, Stoke, uh, and and many others ha- apparently have been uh, subject to this embargo. And, and I think it's a classic case of how how not to run a story. Uh, from from the EFL's point of view, um, the the story broke in the mail on uh, on Tuesday, and it mentioned the the ten clubs, um, and then there was an unknown uh, unknown person quoted who said, "Well, this this is this a sign of financial Armageddon in the EFL Championship?" Um, the EFL says, "No comment. Yeah, we do not comment about clubs that may or may not be." Mm. Um, subject to a, a, an embargo, so therefore the, the clubs were left in limbo because 
the, the social media loves a vacuum. And, and because there was no official news coming out from the EFL, people start to make up the, the stories themselves. So the likes of Luton and Coventry came out and they said, well, it, it, is, uh, it is a transfer embargo. But actually, it's all due to COVID and the uh, sort of emergency legislation that was introduced by, uh, by, by the Chancellor. Because no, under normal circumstances, you've got nine months to have your accounts audited and, and sent in. And uh, Rishi Sunak says, well, I'm, I'm going to give you 12. So all of these clubs said, well, th- thanks very much, Rishi. You know, we'll, we'll take advantage of that. Um, but, but nobody appeared to have told the EFL. And they said, oh, we've not given us your accounts within nine months that they've been audited. Therefore, you've got an automatic um, an automatic embargo in terms of being able to sign players. Now, this, this shouldn't actually be too much of a problem, given that we're not in a transfer window at present. So you're not actually losing out on too much. I guess there could be players out of contract that, uh, that you, you wouldn't be able to sign. Um, and... Uh, it's uh, it it just looks really messy because the clubs are feeling slightly affronted that this story has got out. Um, we've seen the uh, I think the chairman of Coventry's spoken to the local radio, um, and Luton have put out a big big uh, a big release on on their website and things of this nature to say look we've got no financial problems. It's more of a technical issue, but it. It's surely this is something which could be avoided. All the EFL had to say was, well, we acknowledge that you've got an extra three months to publish your accounts, and therefore we're going to give you a bit of extra time to submit them. Um, and it's ironic that the, the EFL itself is taking advantage of the extra three-month delay or the, uh, uh, to, to publish their own accounts, which is you know, a logical thing to do if they can't get the auditors in early. So um, it's it, it's just messy. It's it's increased a bit of bad feeling, I think, between some clubs and and the, and the league. Uh, to a, to a certain extent, it's it, there are parallels with what we've seen in the national league. Um, and and is this the EFL sort of taking a hold my beer approach to uh, the way that it deals with uh, its member clubs? Well, the the Coventry and Luton approach seemed to me eminently sensible because Luton were almost making a joke out of it, using the word Armageddon in their social media releases. But because when the EFL's response to a question, is this a sign of Armageddon uh, in the EFL, when the, the EFL's response is no comment, then everyone just goes, oh, oh that's the sign of Armageddon. And what, what confuses me slightly, Kieran, um, is that we've spoken long and hard recently on our pod about a, a perceived laissez-faire attitude in football to pub uh, clubs publishing audited accounts. And here we have the EFL literally on the day after accounts were due saying, that's it, you're in trouble, we haven't seen your accounts. Yes. I mean, the the, the clubs that do not uh, publish audited accounts tend to be the clubs in Leagues 1 and 2. And again, that that is a perfectly legal thing to do. They're, they're below the relevant thresholds. But this uh, this this is just a bit of an embarrassing mess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's nothing Machiavellian in it. The, the EFL, as far as it's concerned, has applied its rules rigorously, um, ignoring the fact that there's there's something happening in the outside world, mm. um, which which does have an impact. Um, and it, 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 I, I guess they're probably more annoyed that somebody has leaked the story. 
Yeah, we've been very positive and upbeat about the future of women's football recently, Kieran, but some disturbing details, financial and otherwise, have emerged about goings-on behind the scenes at Birmingham City women. Yes, um, this this doesn't reflect very well um, on on the people that are running Birmingham City, and mm. there have been some other issues in in recent times. Yeah, we've spoken about the the sale of the the stadium to a mysterious company in the British Virgin Islands only a week or two ago. Um, this is a this is a story which was which again this broke in the Telegraph mm. over the past few days. Um, Birmingham City have probably one of the lowest budgets in, in the WSL. Um, and you know, women's football has become far more competitive. There's far more money in it. Um, in, in the most recent set of accounts, I, I did notice that it reduced the number of employees by a third. Um, and that was pre-COVID. So that was that was a little bit of a, a cause for concern. Um, they they had to um, they they couldn't raise a team to to play Spurs a few weeks ago and and therefore they were docked points for that. Um, they they were due to play a match against Villa and that was called off with five minutes to go because of a frozen pitch. But there was a there, there was a pitch not far away which they could have hired for five hundred quid which had undersoil heating and the board said oh, we're not we're not paying five hundred quid for the, the, the WSL now. The team to take place, and and that seems quite petty. Um, in respect of the players themselves, that they've written to the board to to raise concerns. Um, there there are sort of accusations of things uh, broadly along the lines of players are getting pay which is close to or even below the minimum wage. Yeah. You've got non-contract players effectively playing playing for nothing. Uh, the the physio and, and medical facilities are very poor. You've got sort of a, a small porter cabin where you've got you know up to five people being treated. Uh, when they go to away matches, there's no doctor to look after the players. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think the the duty of of care, but also the WSL is a professional organisation, and this does not reflect a professional run club as far as Birmingham are concerned. So, um, you know, I've, the good thing to see is that many, many other players from the WSL have, have rallied behind their, their their colleagues at Birmingham and said, "Well, you know, we we want to highlight this. Um, it, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a league which is going forwards. It's a product which is looking better and better. We're seeing more and more of the highlights. They've, there's now the deal with Sky. Um, so, you know, why the people that run Birmingham?" can't take all this on board and, and try to run it a bit more professionally is beyond me. Yeah, because as, as many people in the women's game have said, it it, it feels like a, a return to the bad old days when women players were was simply not getting the same facilities, the same money, the same access to healthcare as, as the male players do. And it, it, it came as a big surprise when the momentum has all been forward. You, you say the budget is very low, Kieran. What sort of figures are you looking at? Um, the wage budget was around about five hundred and fifty grand, I think. Right. Now, you know that's that's got to cover uh, first team squad, the manager, physios, and things of that nature. Right. Um, so, if you if you divide it all up, that that's not a lot of money oh, per right. per player. Right. Um, and it looks as if you know, that they they're playing at I think it's uh, the, the gloriously named Dampson Park. Um, but uh, yeah, that 
that that's a pitch which itself has uh, has taken a bit of rough and tumble over the season because uh, Solihull Moors are, are playing there as well. Yeah. Uh, Manchester City, Burnley and Leeds have put out their latest financial figures, all of which prove that no matter how big your club is, uh, you can't beat COVID. No, no. I mean, Man- Manchester City uh, announced their results on uh, Tuesday evening, uh, a couple of hours before they, they played in the Champions League. Um, and, and they and on, in terms of their, their day-to-day uh, trading, they lost 160 million quid. Now, the owners can afford that. You know, it, it's uh, you know, it, it's small beer to uh, the, the owners, but uh, you know, it's the same. But uh, it's the same for producer guy, of course. But of course. Um, it, it, it's still uh, there's still still pretty eye watering stuff. They they did manage to reduce those losses by around about a quarter due to player sales. But last season, Manchester City they were runners up in the in the Premier League. They had record revenues from commercial deals because they signed some more contracts. Uh, I think they they were close on a quarter of a billion pounds coming in from the the sponsors. But even so, they, they had these eye watering losses. the The wages went up, which is unusual because we've seen for other clubs in the Premier League the wages have either flatlined or gone down. But cities went up significantly, um, so they are by now far the, the the biggest payers of wages in in the in the Premier League. So so that was that that was tough. Um, if we then move on to Leeds United, uh, I think the price of promotion is is high. Um, they they lost sixty six million pounds. Uh, part of the reason for that, again, like everybody else, they've been hit by COVID. But the wage bill was up seventy percent. Wow! You know, h- how many people do you know that have got a seventy percent pay rise in the last year? Uh, apart from Guy, <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I don't know. Um, no, even no. Should uh, Michael McIntyre maybe? But no, I wouldn't have thought. No, that's a that's a lot of. That's a big pay. That's a big rise, isn't it? That's, yeah. So and yeah. and that's that's in the uh, that's in championship. Yeah. So they they will still get further pay rises. And and I and I'm as you know I'm hugely in favour of pay, players being paid the market rate. They're they're young men with short careers yeah. who are very talented. So I've got no resentment towards the level of wages. And and even if we take a look at Manchester City's total wage bill, it's still less than the chief executive or the of uh, Bet365 earned, yeah, yeah. the whole of Manchester City. So we've got to contextualise it. Um, one of the interesting things about Leeds is uh, the price of promotion was high. The price of staying in the Premier League is high as well because in the small print, and as you know, I like a bit of small print, Kevin, um, <laughs> it, it, it suggested that um, if they did uh, maintain Premier League status, which they've done with ease, of course, this season, um, it's going to cost another thirty-five million pounds in non-relegation bonuses. So that that's a club which clearly has a pay structure which is very highly incentivised. Do you know what? Every time you say, "I like a bit of small print," Kevin, I want to go Park Life. <laughs> um, remember when we were young men with short careers? And now look at now look at us. Um, this last story before we get on to our interview with Neil Doncaster is a very interesting one and only a few hours old. We've spoken to some extent recently about the shenanigans Farago in the National League, whatever you want to call it, um, talk of votes of no confidence in the board. And now it seems that Brian Barwick, the chief executive, is to resign. 
That's right. Uh, apparently, he told the National League board that he was going to resign in February. Um, it, it's fair to say that he he, he walked into a, a hurricane as yeah. far as the National yeah. League was concerned. Um, there does appear to be a lack of a relationship between the board and individual clubs. Clearly, each club has an element of self-interest in terms of the decisions and the way that it votes. But one way to to address things of that nature is to have a good set, a good a good means of communication um, and, and keeping everybody informed. And I think this was one of the issues which has made individual clubs in the the National League so unhappy. So th- there have been uh, votes of no confidence in both the board and Brian Barwick himself. Um, he's 66. He, he, he's done it all. You know, he's, he's been chief executive of the Football Association. He's been char- in charge of sport of the BBC and the ITV. And then he's mm. been involved, I think, with Rugby League as well. Mm. Um, and I think he's just probably thought, I, I don't need this anymore. You know, why on earth am I getting all of this grief? I'm sure the guy's trying to do the best job that he can, but there is something wrong in the National League for so many people to be be grumbling across so, so many mm. uh, areas of the way that that particular organisation is conducting itself. Uh, and this is a man, as you say, with a, a very high reputation uh, as an able administrator and as somebody immersed in the world of football. And I, I imagine he probably thought, I've just, I'm heading towards retirement after a couple of years at the National League. That'll be nice. You know, two men and a dog around the pitch, and clearly he got that wrong, didn't he? Um, yes, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it is. It is very competitive. You know, yeah, we've, of course, it is. I think we've both been to matches in the national league, and yeah, you know, the quality of the matches is good, and the the passion of the fans is just as intense as it is in other leagues. Yeah, and sometimes you can walk around the pitch at halftime, which I still think is the most overrated thing in football. People get misty-eyed. Oh, we could walk around the pitch at halftime. It's like, really? Why would you waste valuable drinking time walking around the pitch? Changing ends, that's fine. They don't notice. Now, Kieran, we last spoke to Neil Doncaster, Chief Executive of the Scottish Professional Football League, around 13, 14 months ago when the world was a very different place. We were together, Kieran. Imagine that, together in a tiny office in Soho, I remember it so well because a lot of people seem to recognise you on the way in, Kieran. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we thought we'd talk to Neil again, starting, of course, with a very, very big question. Neil, thank you very much for joining us. And, of course, that, that big question that we need to get out of the way, of course, is have you had your lockdown haircut yet? I've had many lockdown haircuts. Uh, yeah, there's a few pictures of me doing the rounds with a, a very, very uh, close trim and uh, and a COVID mask. So that's my COVID look. Well done, because you're a, a week ahead of us down south in terms of coming out of lockdown. Is there any sense at all, Neil, that you might be near the beginning of the end and Scottish football can think about breathing out and getting back to normal? Uh, my own suspicion is that we're going to have some uh, level of disruption for quite some while. Um, you know, we we to get to the point, frankly, that we've got to now in this season, uh, I think, is, is a minor miracle. We're on course to finish the the Premiership season on time, uh, and also the Championship season on time, albeit with a a cut down program of twenty seven games rather than the normal thirty six. League One and Two. Uh, initially agreed to a reduced season of 27 games and have now uh, agreed to a further reduced season of 22, potentially even 18 games. Mm. Uh, but you know, we, we will, I think, complete the season. 
And given uh, the huge uncertainty that existed, you know, way back in August, yeah. um, I think, you know, we, we can take a lot of comfort from that. Uh, but going forward, um, I think the, the real question mark will be how many fans come back and when. Uh, because as much as we've really benefited from uh, a, a very good deal with Sky Sports this year, which has enabled our clubs to sell virtual season tickets and, and pay-per-views, mm. uh, that's been really, really important. But clearly... We know how important actually the return of fans is to the finances of Scottish football, but also the the atmosphere and the, you know the whole product. I have to say, um, Neil, talking to friends and family in Scotland, it, it it appears that you had a government that thought shutting football down completely was the best option right from the start. Is that is that a fair assessment? Did you have a struggle to get them to agree to let football continue? I think there's certainly a difference of approach that was taken. And then if you go back to uh, summer 2020, um, the English Premier League and, and English Football League were able, were allowed to complete their season behind closed doors. Uh, we weren't. Um, the, the Scottish government was very clear uh, that you know there could be no uh, football activity at all uh, last summer. Uh, and that's why we ended up going to uh, uh, the, the seasons being curtailed on a points per game basis. Um, you know, which clearly uh, wasn't welcomed by everyone, albeit that more than 80% of clubs voted in favour of it, and that's what happened. But it was the only way to deal with a situation uh, last season where we weren't able to play football. Mm. Now, Neil, we've had a lot of questions from listeners, so let's get to them. Now I've got the haircut one off my chest. Um, <laughs> the first question comes from Neville Miller, and it contains a level of detail that Kieran would 100% approve of. And Neville says, at the moment, Scottish football is ranked 19th in the table of domestic league broadcast revenue in between Norway and Romania. However, we only sell 48 games plus six playoffs to broadcasters compared to Poland selling all of theirs, Holland selling 306, Sweden 240, etc. But when we look at revenue in terms of value per game, Scotland is in seventh place with around £600,000 a match which suggests that Scottish football is valued highly by broadcasters. So what can we do to increase demand for games and sales to broadcasters and thus improving the finances of our clubs? I'm, I'm going to need to lie down just for answer, asking that question, Neil, so I'll leave it to you and Kieran. Yeah. Um, well, look, I think it's a great question from, from Neville, and, and you're right, it does show a, a very good grasp of, of the detail. Most European countries sell all of their games to the broadcasters. Now, in some countries, uh, they find that when a game is live on television, it actually has the effect of increasing the attendance at, at games. That's not typically the experience that we, we have in the UK, where a game that's shown live on television typically means a hit to the income coming through the turnstiles. Um, we focus on maximising attendance at games in Scotland, and in fact, we have the highest attendance per head of the population anywhere in Europe. So uh, mm. roughly 2% of uh, the, the population, the overall population in Scotland, go to a game each weekend, which is vastly more um, in, in terms of a percentage than, than anywhere else in, in Europe. Um, so our focus is very much on getting fans through the turnstiles. And in a normal season, that's what we achieve. Broadcast income uh, is... Um, arguably less important in a Scottish context, given the focus on attendances. And therefore, we sell uh, very much based on what we can get per game. And, and Neville's right, you know, the, the amount we get per game that we sell, selling only 48 games plus the playoffs, 
compares very favourably to the vast majority of second tier uh, leagues around Europe. We could try and make more games available, but uh, uh, you, you're certainly not going to get the same amount per game for those matches. And what we want to do is to continue to prioritise attendance at matches. That's what the game is all about. Kieran, it's interesting to hear uh, Neil talk about the fact that in some places uh, fans actually turn up in bigger numbers when a game is televised because we've spoken a lot recently about the, the payoff between broadcasting and losing fans. Yes, uh, I think historically that there has always been a fear that if matches were televised that it would result in, in smaller smaller attendances. Um, as, as Neil says, the, the reaction is mixed. It, it does depend upon the club a lot of the time. Um, some people like to go because they know that the cameras are going to be there and other people will say, well, you know, give opportunity to save money. I mean, from from a personal point of view, I, I always give the, the Glastonbury analogy. I, I'd much rather be there experiencing it live because that is so unique. Watching watching television is uh, is se- second rate to me. Yeah, I'd much rather not be there, Kieran, and I get the full backstage toilet. I don't have to deal with the public toilet. Uh, our next question, Neil, comes from Mark Sheen, and it's about sponsors. I, I believe, says Mark, that the main league sponsorship deal expired pre-COVID, although Mark says he's happy to be corrected. Welcome to my world, Mark. Um, so I'm not sure why the league hasn't yet attracted a main sponsor. Also, we still have numerous players, managers and broadcasters who refer to the league as the SPL, is enough being done to promote and market the SPFL brand? Yeah, it's, it's another good question. Um, in terms of sponsorship, um, I mean, I think sponsorship is important as a, a source of income for any league, but uh, it's by no means the most important income stream. We get uh, well over 90% of our income comes from uh, broadcast uh, as a league rather than sponsorship, and that would be the same for the vast majority of leagues around the world. Um, in an ideal world, yes, you'd have title sponsorship, um, but it's an extremely difficult uh, sponsorship environment, and that's been the case for a number of years, partly due to the focus on gambling sponsorships that, that has existed for some while now. Um, you know, Ladbrokes uh, were our title sponsor for an, uh, many years, and uh, you know they, uh, having enjoyed the sponsorship, uh, decided not to continue. Uh, I was actually um, uh, in a meeting with uh, a, a potential new sponsor, uh, we'd agreed a deal in principle uh, in March last year at the point where COVID hit and the world, of course, uh, went slightly mad as a result of that. So um, we don't have a title sponsor for the league. We, we obviously have the Betfred Cup. Uh, that deal comes to an end uh, this season. Um, but equally, there's no sponsorship uh, present in place for the, the Scottish Cup. So um, it is a difficult sponsorship environment. And you know clearly, we'd prefer uh, in an ideal world for the, the league to be sponsored. Um, but there are a number of other leagues that, that equally don't uh, have tight sponsorship. So, you know, the German uh, Bundesliga, uh, the English Premier League, uh, they uh, sell second-tier sponsorships uh, rather than uh, title sponsorships. And we've actually been successful this year in, in selling second-tier sponsorships to uh, Papa John's, uh, Peter, mm. uh, and also uh, Loch Lomond uh, Group, uh, being the official spirit of the uh, of the SPFL. So, um, it, Clearly, uh, we're all working as hard as we can to bring in income from whatever source we can for the benefit of all of our members. In terms of the the, the branding of the league, um, the the SPFL brand it doesn't uh, it doesn't roll off the tongue in a way that SPL does. Um, the the name SPFL uh, came from the the remerged league. You'll recall that we mm. having had a breakaway in uh, 1998 with the SPL. 
uh, breaking away from the Scottish Football League in 1998, following the English Premier League model, uh, we were able to remerge the leagues together, uh, the SFL and the SPL, in uh, 2013, and. Uh, it was uh, seen at the time that in SPFL was a, a neutral way of demonstrating that this was properly a merger uh, of two leagues coming together. So uh, yeah, it will, it's something we'll continue to, to keep under review. Um, but ultimately, uh, you, you clearly want people uh, talking about uh, the, the football in Scotland and uh, whether it's SPL they refer to or, or, or correctly SPFL. As long as they're talking about it, I guess that's what matters most. Without wishing to compromise your relationship with any current sponsors, Neil, you'll, you'll be aware that in many leagues in Europe, there's, there's a wariness about gambling companies sponsoring football. Is that something that you'll be thinking about in the future, do you think? Yeah, it's certainly something which uh, is in the, the public consciousness of, at the moment. Uh, there is some uh, disquiet clearly about the relationship that sport uh, has with, with gambling. Uh, but sport has a very long history of uh, an association with gambling, you know, through the football pools of, of yesteryear. Mm. And, you know, gambling has always been a big financial contributor uh, to the finances of football. Um, it, it's a way, in the absence of a sort of sport right uh, in, in France, a bookmaker can't take a bet uh, on, a, on a sporting competition, um, you know, w- without there being a return to that sport. We don't have that in the UK at the moment, and and in the absence of that sport right, um, then then clearly uh, sports sponsorship is a way of of gambling giving back to to sport, and the and the fact that you know so many people do bet as a mainstream activity on 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 sport you know on a day to day basis, so I think it's a it's a complicated question, and it's one that politicians are, are, are examining at the moment, and, and clearly you know we'll be bearing that in mind in terms of our discussions with potential sponsors going forward. Our our next two questions, Neil, I think reflect two of the biggest concerns that we seem to have had from uh, Scottish fans that we asked for questions. And the first is from Jamie Anderson, who says, why are fans having to shell out on Premier Sports to watch all Cup games? Uh, Fewer than 30,000 people tuned in for the League Cup final. Surely it's better to have them free to air, or at the very least on Sky Sports, where fans are already paying. Uh, well, I think firstly, the, the numbers are, are wrong there. So it was actually around uh, 250,000 people okay. watched this season's Betfred Cup semi-finals and, and final. And and that number of viewers is broadly similar to what we would expect to see for a, a, champion, a championship live match on, on BBC Scotland on a free-to-air basis, other than perhaps a Hearts or a, a Dundee game. Um, the, the reality, though, is that when we took these rights to market in 2018, uh, Premier Sports was happy to uh, invest millions of pounds per year into the League Cup and also the Scottish Cup through the Scottish FA. Uh, the free-to-air channels uh, had the opportunity to bid when we took those rights to market and, and chose not to bid. And ultimately, um, yeah, in an ideal world, you'd, you'd love for all of the uh, our games to be available on, on a free-to-air basis with with free-to-air broadcasters, you know, paying the same amount of money. But um, it's Premier Sports that is investing that m- m- very necessary. Uh, income uh, into the League Cup competition, and you know we're delighted to partner with them. They're a great partner uh, and have been uh, this season to date, and are looking forward to working with them for at least the next four years. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on the Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. 
In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. And, and Kieran, we've talked about um, Scottish clubs having a certain degree of independence, haven't we, in selling their own broadcast rights, like Rangers to to India. Is, is that a model? Do you think we'll be seeing in in more and more across football? I, I think the the leagues will probably not want that. I think it, there, there's a very good case for the the clubs delegating that responsibility to the leagues. Um, I think the the, the Rangers India uh, issue is uh, is intriguing, uh, and, and you've got to give all the parties some credit there for for what's been done. And this question comes from Alan McCabe, Neil. Uh, why does the SPFL continue to entertain the idea of Colts teams? We were asked this a lot, I have to say. Fans and chairmen of the majority of teams outside the old firm have repeatedly said we don't want this. I'm a Sterling Albion fan and I have no interest in watching Rangers and Celtic kids teams come to fourth bank. I think there is a, a development gap um, in Scotland uh, for players between the ages of you know 17 or 18 and, and 21. Uh, I think it's, it's recognised that uh, we don't have a system in place that uh, enables us to develop players at that age as as well uh, as we could. Mm. B teams are a proven way of developing uh, young players, and many leagues across Europe operate B teams in their lower divisions, including Germany, Spain, uh, Portugal, Holland. Um, I think it's seventy six percent of the Dutch uh, current Dutch under twenty one players have played in B teams, and I think it's sixty seven percent of the Portuguese national team have played B team football. So. B teams are an established way of uh, developing young players and certainly talking to my counterparts in in other leagues across Europe, they do say that B teams are a very effective way of developing uh, young players. But it's not just about B teams. Um, I think we're also looking very carefully at the the concept of strategic partnerships between clubs and we've got one that is in place at the moment between Stenhouse Muir and Hibernian uh, which appears to offer benefits to both clubs. So I think it's looking at horses for courses, different ways of developing talent uh, that different clubs uh, may wish to uh, look at, but also that may, may be better for different players. There may be some players that, that do benefit from going out on loan to a lower league club, whereas other players, uh, it would be, would be better for them to stay within a B team and uh, play seasoned uh, older professionals on a, on a weekly basis in a, in a league competition. So, you know, ultimately what we're trying to do is develop, to develop better and more young players you know, for the clubs in Scotland, but also for the Scotland national team. And I think we should be open-minded to the best way of achieving that. Yeah, I have to say I'm slightly confused about the vehemence of the opposition to, to Colts from Rangers and Celtics, especially as, as we'll discuss in a moment in, in the Challenge Cup, which is enormously popular. You've got teams from outside Scotland playing. So this this notion of not wanting Rangers and Celtics, is it, is it to do with a kind of subconscious reaction from the rest of Scottish fans against the old firm, do you think? I, I don't know. Uh, certainly there are a number of other teams uh, outside of Celtic and Rangers who would like to explore the, you know, the, the option of having a B team, whether that's in the, the lower leagues of the SPFL or uh, you know, in, in the Lowland League or Highland League potentially. You know, I think B teams, because of the experiences that we've seen across Europe, are a very 
established way of developing young players in the best possible way. So we need to be uh, very cognizant of what other uh, clubs think and what fans think. But ultimately, we do have a responsibility, I think, to to develop uh, players in the best way that we can. Neil Mellon asks, um, to encourage greater TV deals and match day revenues, is there an argument to expand the Premiership from 12 to 16 teams? He uses Hearts as an example currently in the Championship, who pre-COVID were getting minimal away fans from clubs like Aloha and Arbroath. I suspect Neil may be a Hearts fan. Uh, but is, is expansion a consideration? Well, I'm, I'm not at all certain that an expanded premiership would increase either broadcasting revenues or matchday revenues. Um, a 16-team premiership would presumably be played on a once-home, once-away basis, as opposed to the uh, the 12-team premiership where it's um, three times, um, you know, home, uh, home and away, uh, twice and once, or vice versa, and then a further uh, game post-split. Um, you end up with a smaller league, you end up with more bigger games. Uh, with a once-home, a once-away bigger league, you're likely to end up with lower broadcast revenues and lower matchday revenues. Um, if you again, I think we we assume because the bigger leagues around Europe, you know, the, the most the more important leagues have more clubs in them, typically eighteen or twenty clubs. We assume that that's the most common model, uh, league model throughout Europe, and, and in fact, it's not the case. A ten or twelve team league is is far more um, used. Uh, across Europe than, than the sort of 18 or 20 team uh, league. And on a similar note, Harry Haskett says, what are the chances of the Challenge Cup being expanded to include even more British teams? Well, you're certainly right that it's um, a, a competition that does involve or has involved uh, teams from across uh, the, the British Isles in, in recent mm. years. It was a, a competition that was created in 1990 uh, to celebrate the centenary of the uh, the Scottish Football League, uh, and it was created as a lower league competition. Um, following the merger in in twenty thirteen, uh, we expanded the competition to include Premiership B teams and uh, two teams from each of Northern Ireland, uh, Wales, and the Republic of Ireland, and subsequently also the English National League, and I think it was Sutton United mm. and Boreham Wood uh, who became the first English teams to to take part in that competition. Um, we didn't hold the competition last season due to COVID, uh, but we are hoping to run the competition again at next season. Um, but whether uh, overseas teams can be included, given the ongoing pandemic, uh, next season r- remains to be seen. Um, I-, I wouldn't rule out um, uh, further expansion of the Challenge Cup. Uh, I think uh, um, it-, it is uh, interesting the reaction you get, though, to uh, the overseas teams in the Challenge Cup. Um, some really like it, uh, and others really dislike it. Um, but you know, we, we've certainly heard many stories from fans that have been uh, on the uh, the trips across the water uh, to the Republic, uh, to to Northern Ireland, to Wales, to England, and, and have loved the journey. And you know, really, it's been a, a fantastic day out uh, for the club. You know, and very unusual from the normal fare of, of Scottish football. So again, we should keep an open mind about you know what the future of the Challenge Cup is, but it remains a very important part of the, the Scottish football diet. And, and just for the benefit of, of those fans who don't know the intricacies of the format of the Challenge Cup, which I'm afraid, and I live near Sutton, includes most of the population of Sutton, are these are these teams invited, the, the non-Scottish teams? Is it invite only for them to take part in the tournament? Yes, and you know we, we liaise with our counterparts in Northern Ireland, the Republic, uh, uh, the Welsh Premier League and, and uh, the English National League to establish the best way of uh, inviting those teams in. 
Um, it, it's typically been the top two teams in Northern Ireland, the top two non-European teams in the Republic, top two teams in Wales, and then the uh, top two non-promoted teams in the National League. So, uh, yeah, it, it's been a it's been a fascinating competition to be involved with, and uh, one that has uh, given a little bit different, uh, uh, you know, in terms of uh, 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 the games that we've seen uh, in that competition over the, the last few years. Ian Beresford has a question that fans in just about every European league would identify with, Neil. Are there plans to make the division of money in the SPFL more equitable? Uh, The bias towards the top division is hurting the game as so many lower clubs struggle and only a small increase would make a huge difference to them. As I say, Neil, that's a question I think that's asked by fans across Europe and probably the world, isn't it, really, about their own leagues? Yeah, um, and and you know people have reasonably short memories because when we did the merger in in twenty thirteen, um, you know, the, the the drivers for that merger were, were many, but it created a substantial redistribution away from the top division and in favour of the second tier mm. uh, to bridge what was at that point a huge financial gap between the bottom of the Premiership and the top of the Championship. So you know we, we created um, an extra relegation and promotion slot through creating playoffs, um, the, the Premiership Championship playoffs, um, and by uh, redistributing the revenue that we we had previously given to just the, the, the Premiership clubs, um, very much in favour of the the second tier, but also there was some more money going down to the third and fourth tiers. So um, we have a pretty equitable. Um, system uh, uh, already, uh, which was uh, certainly uh, very redistributive in 2013. Mm. I think we should keep an open mind about you know how the money is divided going forward, but we have to recognise that the vast majority uh, of the the money that's generated by Scottish football is generated by the commercial um, activities of the top tier, and, and it was activating the Sky. Uh, contract this year uh, and doing the deal with Sky that enabled season passes and, and pay-per-views to be sold. Um, you know that deal benefits all forty-two clubs within the SPFL. Uh, ben Stevenson on, on the converse side has a question about financial fairness for the bigger clubs. Um, ben says, "What are the future possibilities of some sort of league reconstruction and a better TV deal?" So many questions about TV deals. Uh, to allow Scottish clubs more of an opportunity to compete further in the Champions League and the Europa League, with both Rangers and Celtic being similar in size to Man United and Liverpool in terms of British fan base. It's frustrating to see financial restrictions on them, Aberdeen, Hearts, Hibs, etc. What could help solve this? Perhaps a British Cup or a combined league with other nations? Yeah, the the, the issue here, the problem here is the polarisation of, of wealth uh, that we've seen over the past 30 years across Europe. Mm. Um, th- th- this is about the bigger clubs and the bigger leagues becoming richer uh, and the second-tier clubs and second-tier leagues becoming relatively poorer. You know, 30 years ago, th- this simply wasn't the huge disparities that we currently see in finance um, a- across uh, European football. And what's happened is that the, the big five leagues uh, of uh, massively increased the amount of money they've been able to earn, particularly through satellite television. Um, whereas the second tier leagues, the money's increased, but at nothing like the same rate. So th- this isn't purely a UK problem or a Scottish problem. This is a European uh, football problem. And, and we're seeing that with the current debate around uh, the Champions League format post-2024. Mm. Um, a British Cup, I think, is an exciting concept. Um, it, it's something which there have been discussions about over uh, some years. And it's not that many years ago. I think it was around about 
2002, that there were you know genuine discussions, meaningful discussions about um, Scottish clubs uh, taking part in uh, the the EFL uh, in England uh, on the back of the ITV digital uh, collapse. So th- th- these are conversations that that will ebb and flow and and, and come and go. Um, but but I do think that um, as we see further change across European football, that there will be further opportunities, and whether that's a British Cup or something similar remains to be seen. And and Kieran Ben's quite right. Rangers and Celtic are very similar in size to Man United and Liverpool in terms of fan base, but that doesn't necessarily equate to similar income, does it? No, because uh, the the clubs you mentioned south of the border have, have got the benefit. Of the uh, the Premier League TV deals, they're they're in the Champions League on a on a more regular basis in terms of getting to the group stages and beyond. Um, and on the back of that, they've they've managed to leverage um, quite astounding commercial deals, which makes it difficult for the for the other clubs in in the Premier League. And, and you know, there are other big clubs, you know, the likes of Newcastle and West Ham and so on, who are getting fifty thousand turning up. Uh, just just as Rangers and Celtic do, so mm. it's 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 a it's a huge challenge, uh, I think, for the the Scottish clubs. And uh, I, I think Neil's right to highlight that that twenty twenty four could be uh, a big opportunity for Scotland if uh, if UEFA comes to its senses and and allocates those additional places on a on an equitable basis on 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 the grounds of football clubs winning matches as opposed to what they did five years ago. Yeah. Neil, we're down to our last 35 questions. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I know you have to be away. So I'm going to I'm going to ask you one more question. Um, and after, after the Colts and broadcasting rights, this is an issue I think that nearly always crops up when you talk to anybody about Scottish football and the future of it. And Andy Adams puts it very succinctly with the announcement of the Dutch and Belgian leagues joining together. How close is the Atlantic League? to getting off the ground here? And would it provide more money and where would it leave the rest of Scottish football? Yeah, again, this is a, a topic that, that has um, raised its head uh, a number of times over the past 25 years. Um, the, the, the Dutch and Belgian leagues have, have been in some form of discussion around a merger for, for many years. Um, whether it actually happens is is another matter, uh, and I think it's very difficult to, uh, to 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 combine at leagues, not least of all because of the European places that UEFA awards and how you allocate those. Mm. Um, but I do think that UEFA is more open minded to um, mergers of leagues as a potential way of bridging the polarization of wealth. In, the, in in European football that we've seen in recent years, I think everyone recognises, and UEFA recognise that polarisation uh, of money in football is a bad thing. Um, the the difficulty is what you then do about it. And whereas the idea of merged leagues may have been anathema in the past, I think increasingly it's gaining traction as a as a, a concept that may be part of the solution to that polarisation. Um, our difficulty, I guess, is is a geographic one, which is you know unlike the, Holland and, and, and Belgium, where you've got two similar sized leagues very close together. Oh. Um, our nearest neighbours, uh, the English Premier League, financially are light years away from us, and that's that's the challenge: is how you um, uh, how you work more closely uh, with leagues around you that are that are so different in in scale, financial scale. 
but that, that's that's a challenge which um, ultimately you know, we a number of us in Scottish football are um, on uh, or working within bodies that that help to drive future policies. So Peter Lawwell, uh, the outgoing Celtic chief executive, is on the the board of the European Clubs Association. Um, I have a position within uh, uh, UEFA. Uh, I also work closely with the European leagues. So those um, bodies give you an opportunity to rub shoulders with with decision makers in other leagues. And I think uh, it uh, it will be fascinating over the next decade just how many of these uh, merged leagues actually get up off the ground. Uh, mm. Change is always painful and typically takes longer than you think it's going to. Uh, but I do think that over time we will see uh, real structural change throughout European football as a response to the polarisation of, of wealth that, uh, that, bl- that is a blight on the game. See, here's one of your problems, Neil. You give us a very measured, intelligent answer to that question. And almost inevitably, on Friday morning, one of the tabloids will say, leagues will merge one day, says Doncaster. <laughs> Subtitled, change, oh. change, change is always painful, says Doncaster. Um, it's. I, 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 I am going to let you go, because I know you're in a hurry. But it, it, it must be very difficult to be in a job where there are people ready and waiting to interpret every word you say in a way that's different to the, to your actual meaning. Uh, perhaps. Uh, I, I think it is important, though, that you have the courage of your convictions and uh, prepare to speak openly and, 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 and take questions on, on all subjects. I think that, that's part of the responsibility you have when, when you lead an organisation. And uh, your answers won't always be popular to everyone, um, but it's important to to, to you know, tell tell it how it is. Um, and ultimately, you know, we're all there uh, in leagues to serve our member clubs as best we can, and to serve the game. And it remains a, a genuine privilege to be working within the game in Scotland. And uh, and I think there is you know, a genuine. There remains a real authenticity around the game in Scotland, which I think has been lost in many other mm. uh, leagues around the world. You know, the, the passion, the drama, the excitement uh, that we see day to day, week to week in, in Scottish football is is a, is a vital and really important thing. And uh, those of us that are privileged enough to work within it, I think have a responsibility to to talk about it, to talk it up and uh, uh, put our head above the, the parapet and, and take questions on all matters. Now, lots of our Scottish listeners will be saying, you didn't ask him this, you didn't ask him that. Um, <laughs> There are certainly some questions where I didn't ask you that, without a doubt. And, I, I, um, but, and this is a question you can't answer no to, but it, just as we we see the, the cliched light at the end of the tunnel, do you think Scottish football is heading out of COVID in a, in a robust and secure state for the next decade and beyond that? Yeah, I don't think we should underestimate the, the huge the scale of the financial challenges that that Scottish football, indeed all clubs uh, across the UK, continue to face. Um, COVID nineteen has been a, a you know an absolute um, sledgehammer uh, to the to the game across the world, and uh, I, I think football as a, as an industry has needed every ounce of its strength and robustness to get through this crisis. Um, you know, we, we aren't yet through it, uh, but we still have forty two clubs that, that are solvent and uh, you know are, are keeping going. And you know, the UK government's uh, furlough scheme has been a very important part of that, uh, but also the Scottish government uh, grants to Championship League One and League Two clubs and mm-hmm. and the loans that they've made to Premiership clubs. You know that those are important uh, aspects uh, to the to the story of the past year, and you know, that that help has been uh, very necessary as we continue to chart our way through these very very treacherous waters. Neil, thank you for your time today. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. 
I apologise to any of our listeners who will be saying, you didn't ask my question, you didn't ask my... We we had a lot of questions, um, some of which we had no intention of asking, Neil, and why you were optimistic enough to think we would. I don't think the man's not double-jointed for a start-off. Um, so apologies if we didn't get to your question, but I, we, we tried to choose as many as we could that covered the issues that people were talking about. But it's it's... And again, I like Neil, and I'm, I'm really pleased that he came on. But it's so difficult for him because, as we say, he's a man who knows that everything he says will be interpreted in a different fashion by someone, isn't he? Yes, I, I was. I thought he was incredibly professional and measured, and also knew his stuff. You know, he, he you know, we, we we just threw those questions at him, and he had everything at his fingertips. So, um, you know, I've I've met Neil uh, because he's uh, he's given some talks at. Uh, on our football MBA course at Liverpool, and he always goes down an absolute storm, and people hold him in high regard because he does actually know what professional leadership is all about. Mm. Also, as well, it, it seems it, he's he's very aware of the problem of the redistribution of wealth amongst football clubs across Europe, but like the rest of us, hasn't quite got an idea how to rectify it. We all we all know. We all know that it's wrong the way money is distributed, and we all we all have theories, but it doesn't seem to be even you, Kieran, can't think of one specific way we can rectify that problem, can you? Well, I, I think we we can we we can have a, a a different distribution model, but the trouble is if you do have that, the the, the G six and the other greedy clubs in Europe will, will take their ball away and form their own league. So. Um, it, it's financial blackmail is, is where we are presently in football. And unfortunately, the blackmailers are going to win this particular argument. Yeah, we. I've already reconciled myself, Kieran, to the fact that if you disappear one day, it'll either be the, the Russian Mafia or the Greedy Six. It'll either be Man United and Man City that gets rid of you or the Russian Mafia. Um, thanks to That was a grim note to end the pod on, wasn't it? I'm sorry about that, Kieran. Why would they want to get rid of my friend Kieran? Thank you to everyone who has become a patron of our pod recently via our new Patreon site, including John Burke, Armando Diaz, Kelvin Walker, Jack Painter, Martin Soule, hello, Doc, uh, Tom Spark, Martin Lee, Evanthea Georgiou, Paul McLaughlin, Ted Rogers, uh, Stephen Burney, who for his personal message has asked us to give a shout-out to his fans in training group and for the work of Rangers Charity Foundation. You can find out more about their great work at rangerscharity.org.uk. And, uh, and I'm assured by a guy that this is a genuine new patron, Tatiana, um, whose personal message was, come back to Moscow, Professor. I miss you, and so does my sister Svetlana. Kieran, did you tell her you were a professor? Uh, she always used to call me that. But there's not necessarily the same Tatiana. Could be talking to you, Kevin, for all I know. Uh, I've never been to Moscow. And <laughs> ah, right. I've, I've, I've given myself many false titles in the past, but I've never, I've never stretched a professor. <laughs> yes, yes. Tatiana and Svetlana are uh, well. It, it was. I, I, I don't think. Well, I, I, being a, gen, a gentleman never tells, but but I, I ticked off. I think in one night, eight new boxes in the I Spy book of special cuddles, including wow. all of the legendary page twenty-seven. Wow, eight. It's, yeah, well, eight. Yeah. Well, I was, I was, I'm trying to think of something that would top that. Although I did once pretend to be a priest about to go into a seminary and suggest that I just wanted one last weekend of that was 
I'm not proud of that, but I had a brilliant. <laughs> I, I did, however, have a brilliant weekend. So, <laughs> uh, if, if you would like, that's more of the note to end the pod on, isn't it, Kieran? Yeah. Like, yeah. uh, if you would like to make a small monthly contribution, go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. And don't worry, though, it will always be free to air for everybody else. And if you have any questions for us on any aspect of football finance, well, our next pod will be a questions one on Monday. So it's questions at price of football.com. And in the meantime, I will drag Kieran away from memories of the legendary page 27 to say one of his legendary farewells <laughs> well um I'll, I'll try and concentrate um uh, with th- thanks thanks again for all the reviews if you can give us those reviews on uh, on Spotify or Apple podcast app um give us a five-star review according to producer guy it makes a difference or rather it, it makes a difference to producer guy myself and kevin we've got no idea because we, we can just about press the the start button on our yeah, laptops true. but uh other than that stay safe and look after yourselves yeah and for me father kevin i'll see you next time father kevin. <laughs> <laughs> the Bye, son, for the